Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Yeah, so, so birthdays are exciting, you know, when you're young, you know, I got to get my birthday, you know, how old are you going to be? I'm going to be six or whatever, know, whatever it is, you know. You got to go into half. Got to go into half, you know, I'm six and a half, I'm, you know, whatever, you know. And, and, but, then, but then as you work, and then you work your way older, you know, you get to, you know, you're 15, hey, 16, I can get my driver's license, awesome, you know, and you, you know, and you work your way up a little bit, and then. And then there comes a point, and it came a point in my life when somebody asked me how old I was. I said, let me think here a minute. i got to calculate it. And now it's almost to the point where, how old are you? I said, I have no idea. Let me look at a calendar. And uh, that's just the way it is, you know, so. Yeah. Well, well also there's a, gen- there's a gender difference, too, in birthdays. Because usually with men, it goes up and it just keeps going. For women, it goes up to a like a high point, and then they start coming back down again. You know, so it goes up, well, I'm 50, then I'm 49, then I'm 48, then, you know, so. Yeah. Donna never grew up. I mean, Donna, she just, she was just, yeah, she never did grow up. Yeah, 60, 60 years old, she pulls out her little My Little Pony and asks the waitress if they got some carrots for her little pony. She's 60 years old. Come on, I mean. And her SpongeBob. I still got I got more SpongeBob stuff at home than I know what to do with, you know. But uh, anyways, we're in uh, Romans chapter six. We're working our way through this chapter, which is very um, important. It's a very pivotal chapter. And uh, the big idea of Romans chapter six is our union with Christ. And last week we talked about how probably the the number one description of Christian in the New Testament is you're in Christ. We're not called Christians, we're called in Christ. And uh, last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1 where it talks about again and again and again, you are in Christ, we were chosen in Him. Um, and when did that choosing happen? It cho- that choice was made before time began. We were in Christ, we have union with Him. And uh, Paul picks this up on in Philippians 3 this whole concept of in Christ being in Him, when he does a comparison here, and this fits in with with the whole Romans um, motif, because in Romans, what Paul is trying to make sure that we understand is a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You cannot be justified by what you do. It's by God doing a work in you. It's what you believe. And he basically says um, in... uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice there, of course, is an imperative. Be happy. Rejoice. To write the same things again to you is no trouble for me. It's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's talking about people that come in and want to add works to your salvation. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but you also do this. you got to do both. Mm-hmm. What are the dogs? Well, to the Jewish person, what is a dog? It's a Gentile. It's an unclean Gentile. And by the way, dogs in those days were my, my little Stetson that 
trots around and wags his tail. These were mongrel curs that were scavengers. All right, they were filthy animals. Yeah, they were not house pets. To call somebody a dog was a pretty derogatory term in those days. Beware of evil workers. Beware of people who do evil things. And beware of the mutilation. Now, that's an interesting word. What he's talking about there is, is the right of circumcision. Beware of those who mutilate themselves. And what he's meaning there is he's saying there are people that say if you got the circumcision, you're in. They're like the mutilation. They're like people who mutilate themselves. Because it doesn't mean anything anymore. Because then he says, but we are the circumcision who, listen, the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Who's the true believer? Not the one who mutilates themselves and you know does the circumcision. I'm in, I'm okay. The person who's a true believer is the one who worships God in the Spirit they make their boast in Christ, not themselves. And they worship and, and put no confidence in the flesh. That's a, that's a direct, um, you want to call it direct extinction, distinction of what the Jewish people did. If you look at the Jewish rabbis, what did they do? They boasted in their works. They put confidence in their circumcision. They made their boast not in Christ, but in themselves, right? Look what I did. Look at the righteous deeds I've done. It's, um, a good example of that is the tax collector and the publican, right? Or the tax collector and the Pharisee go down the temple. And one, he stands afar off, said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the righteous, self-righteous, religious person says, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. And they started reciting to God all of the things he did. By the way, God does not need to know what you do. He's... He understands. You don't need to remind God, by the way, do you know the good deed I did yesterday? God said, yeah, I forgot to write that down. God knows what's going on. You don't need to remind God. But then he says this, although I, he said, you want to play this uh, game here, I might have confidence even in the flesh. You want to play the, 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 you know, the, the pedigree card? I got that. If anyone else wants to put confidence in the flesh, I can do better than them. I was circumcised the eighth day. What was that? Well, that's the day you circumcise a young Jewish boy, the eighth day. I, was, I got circumcised on the right day. I got that box checked off. So, you know, you pull out the Pharisee card and say, okay, how righteous are you? To see box one, were you circumcised the eighth day? Check. Did that. I'm the nation of Israel. Are you an Israelite? Box two. Check. What uh, tribe are you from? Benjamin. Wow, that's number one. That's the best tribe of all. Check. Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to, I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew people. How's your family lineage? Any Gentiles in the family lineage? Nope. Check. How about, uh, what do you do? I'm a Pharisee. Wow, that's big. Check. You got five checks so far, Paul. Not a lot of people get the five check boxes. What about your zeal? Oh, I, I persecuted the church. I, I went after heretics. Ooh, check. Wow, got a good one there. He pulls out his card. He's got a lot of check boxes on him. Persecuted the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. So 
Let's say, let's, okay, Paul, you commit adultery. Nope, check. Okay, good there. How about stealing? Nope, didn't steal. How about this? Nope, 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 nope. Man, Paul, you got all the check, you got all the boxes checked. You're, 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 you're like super, right? I mean, good night. We haven't seen anybody like this in a while. And Paul said, I took that card. In verse 7, everything on there, I took that whole card and I looked at it. And I looked at Christ. This was scubalon. Look that word up in the Greek, in the Greek lexicon. Human excrement, filth, dung. They got it right. Human excrement. When I when I compared my card with the righteousness of Christ, I saw my card was nothing but manure, junk, scubalon. Why? Whatever thing were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, scubalon. I may gain Christ. And here's where we want, here's where, here's where we want to get. All that was just to get to this verse and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul says, I didn't want to stand before God with my own righteousness, because that's not good enough. There's a lot of people today that think their righteousness is good enough. I'm better than the other guy. I'm okay. God will like me. I'm not evil. But as we found in Romans chapter 5, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. It's one or the other. And Paul is saying in Philippians 3, listen, everything I was banking on, my entire my entire education, my entire identity as a Jewish person, as a rabbi, as a Pharisee, when I compare that to what it means to be in Christ, that was all rubbish, scubalon, filth, excrement. I wanted to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. So when God looks at you, what kind of righteousness is He seeing? Yours? seen the righteousness of Christ. He's seeing the infinite righteousness of Christ because we're in Christ. See, there is a righteousness which is by the law, isn't there? It's just not good enough. It won't get you there. It, 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 it's just not, it's not perfection. But we like to compare ourselves. I'm not as bad as the other guy. I'm okay. Paul says, when I got a hold of this, it's like, I want to be in Christ. I need to be in Him. I need to be identified with Him. I need to be in Him. And he said, uh, that I may know 
Him, the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Identification. Paul's, this is Paul's roundabout way of talking about identification. I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. I want to have the fellowship of His suffering. I want to be conformed to His death. And he says here, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. What's the idea there? He says, why am I doing all of the stuff I'm doing? I'm not doing it to attain a righteousness. I already have that in Christ. But what did Christ save me to be, to do? To press on. What does it mean to press on? It means to, I'm, I'm going towards a goal. What is the goal? Christ-likeness. Sounds like something our church has, right? Leading people in the adventure of becoming like Christ, right? Paul says, I want to be like Him. Why should I want to be like Him? Because I'm in Him. I'm in Christ. I want to be like Christ. I want to, and he says, by the way, I haven't gotten there yet. Do we get there in this life? No, we don't, right? But that doesn't mean don't take a try, right? Dan and I like playing golf. The goal of playing golf is to get a hole in one on every hole. It doesn't happen. But we still try it every, we still keep trying to do it, right? Some of us do better than others. I won't mention which one of us does better than the other. But the point is, you make an effort. You're striving for that. You're, 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 Paul says, I've been saved to be like Christ. I want to at least try to be like Him. I've not obtained it. Good night. Not yet. I press on. The idea of pressing on there, if I remember right, I, I, and this is dusty recesses of an old brain, I think it, it has to do with, um, it's either ectinase, which is to stretch, to stretch for something, Okay, I can't remember which one it is, whether he's stretching for I stretch forward, or whether it's agonizomai, which means to work like an athlete, to, to agonize, to, to get to the prize. To, you know, the guy that, that dives for the ball in the outfield to catch it, to win the, the World Series or whatever. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing on. It's, he said, I'm not just like lollygagging and tiptoeing through the tulips on the way. I'm putting forth some effort. I'm giving some energy to this thing. And let us, therefore, as many as are mature, think this way. And if, any, if you think anything differently, God will reveal that to you. Um, however, ju let's just keep walking in step with the same standard to which we have obtained. Let's just keep pressing, pressing on. Here's the point. You're in Christ. If you're in Christ, last week we said, if any man be in Christ, he is a... New creation. What does it mean to be a new creation? You're not the same old. You're not the same old. Um, I was just going back through um, Corinthians this week. Um, and there was an idea back when I was young and handsome, um, this idea of a carnal Christian. You know, you, you, got, you got someone who's a Christian you got someone who's an unbeliever, and then you got this third category of person called an carnal Christian. 
They're a believer. They're on their way to heaven, but they don't act like it. And I remember going to many a meeting where the goal was to get the carnal Christians to get off that and become spiritual Christians. I would suggest the New Testament has no concept of a carnal Christian. If you mean by that a state of existence. Can you act carnally at times? Yeah. But if that's your state of existence, what are you? You're not a Christian. Fruit. And again, I'm not a heart inspector. I am a fruit inspector. I don't know what a person's heart is. But you show me someone who says I'm a Christian because I went forward 25 years ago, but I have no interest in spiritual things. I don't go to church. I don't read the Bible. I think Christians are whacked out. They're not a Christian. You don't need to give them verses on insurance. You need to give them verses on salvation. There's no such thing in the Bible as a state of being where you just, I'm just a carnal Christian. I'm okay because I, I signed the card and I got my, my get out of hell free card right here. You know, I signed it. No. You come the way of the cross and when you come the way of the cross and you're in Christ, you are different. There isn't. You are different. You're changed. Christ talked about this in John chapter 15, one of the great I am passages. John's very good at the I am passages, right? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way. Now notice what he said. Yeah, the definite article. You know, you know what the definite article means. That is the only way. All right. I learned a new term this week, or last week, called the monadic use of the definite article. Go figure that one out. Monadic use. Yeah, people in, doing Greek grammar, they got way too much time on their hands. So they come up with like, oh, it's all the different categories of the article. Really, you know, come on, I got more, you know, I'd rather do something. Well, they like doing this kind of stuff. But one of them is called the monadic use. And the idea of the monadic use, it's the one and only. You know, are you the, you know, the one and only? So when Christ says, I am the way, you can argue that is the monadic use of the, which means there isn't any other way. There is the way, there is the truth, there is the life. That's not a way, a truth, and a life, like the world wants to tell us. Pick a way. You're sincere, you'll get there. Mormon, Buddha, Hindu, it doesn't matter. Christ didn't say that. He said, I am the door. He's not, by the way, Christ did not say, I am a door. I am a light. I am the light of only. John 15, 1, I am the vine. My father is the vine grower. Israelites that he talked to, the disciples that he said this to, they would know exactly what he was talking about. Most of the culture at that time was centered around the agrarian culture. You would grow things. He said, uh, I am the true vine. I am the real vine. My father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. How is it that we bear fruit? 
What do we need to do to bear fruit? We need to abide in the vine. You go up to a thing of grapes, what, what branches are producing grapes? The ones that are attached to the vine or the ones that aren't attached to the vine? He's saying, if you want to bear fruit, you need to be in me. If you bear fruit, what does the Father do? He prunes it, right? Why does he prune it? To bear more fruit. Sometimes the trials we all go through are because we're being pruned, aren't we? Bear more fruit. But he says here, um, you're already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me. What does it mean to abide in me, to remain in me, to live in me, to be in me and I in you? As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So how is it as a Christian I bear fruit? I have to abide in the vine. I can't do it on my own. One of the uh, textbooks I read for one of the classes I just finished up here was an interesting book comparing, comparing uh, physical ecologies with spiritual ecologies. And the basic thesis of the book, which is sort of interesting, is how, do you, how does a farmer, how is it he, that he can produce a crop? Well, there's an ecological system that that grain or that crop is in that produces the fruit, right? If you take that grain outside of that ecology, the grain doesn't grow. It needs like dirt, water, you know, that kind of stuff. And their basic thesis is the same thing with Christianity. If you take Christians outside of a healthy spiritual ecology, they don't grow. Christ is talking about that here, isn't he? If you want to grow and you want to produce fruit and you want to be productive, what do you have to do? You have to abide in the vine. You can't be on your own. And by the way, if you don't abide in the vine, any branch that does not bear abide in me, it's not attached to me, what does the husbandman do to that vine? He throws it into the fire. Ooh, what's that a picture of? Hell. By the way, this is not saying if you're a Christian and don't bear fruit, God throws you into hell. That's not what he's talking about. Notice here, when I look at a, a vineyard, what vines are producing grapes? They're attached, and they're grape vines, right? Could there be some other vines that you know make their way in there? Weeds. Yeah. Those weeds are not attached to the what? Yeah, now it, I look at it and say, wow, you know, everything's green there. I guess they're all, you know. Then if you start looking a little bit further, you'll find that, hey, there's some things here that aren't grape vines. What do you do with those? Well, I don't want them taking nutrients away from the vine, so what am I going to do with that if I'm a good, I'm going to pull it out, I'm going to cut them off, I'm going to throw them out and burn them. Here's the point. You want to bear fruit. You abide in the vine. How do you abide in the vine? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Oh, okay, so how is it that I abide in Christ? Well, i got to have his words abide in me, which helps me to abide in him, right? 
You need to read the Scripture. You need to be in the Word. You need to read it. And if you do that, whatever you ask, it will be done to you. Oh, wow, new car. No, that's not what he's talking about. See, if you're abiding in Christ, what do you want? Well, you get eternal life, but if you're abiding in Christ and Christ's words are abiding in you, what are you going to want? What he wants, right? You're not going to want what you want. You're going to want what he wants. That's what he's talking about. Being in Christ. Verse 10, here's a good one. If you keep my commandments, you will what? Abide in my love. How do you abide in Christ? You keep his commandments. You do what the Bible says. You, you, you're obedient as a believer. It is. It's impossible to do, but that doesn't mean what did Paul say? What do I do? I'm striving. I'm reaching forward. We're not talking perfection here. Of course not. But we can try, can't we? We can make an effort. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I in you, you in me, us in Christ. If we're in Christ, we are new. We're not perfect. We struggle with pride. We struggle with our own sinful desires, but we make an effort because we're in Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here in Romans chapter 6, which we can now go back to. Shall we continue in sin? Verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? I'm in Christ. I've been justified. And God displays His glory in forgiving me, in forgiving my sin. So if I do a lot of sin and He forgives me, that makes Him look good. Well, that's a twisted kind of thinking. But you know there are people who think that way. There are people that say, it doesn't matter if I sin, God will forgive me anyways. Oh, really? Now, is that a true statement? Yeah. Yes, it is, but... Right. You got it. You got it. May it never be. The strongest negative in the Greek language, which I found out, you can't do any. You can't go any higher than this. There's six levels of negative. You know, it goes from small to gets worse as it, you know, more negative as you go along. And this is the sixth to the final stop in that progression. It's called the optative mood. There, there you go. There's another one. The wish mood. May it never be. God forbid. No way. You can't. How shall we who listen died to sin live any longer in it? 
How did you die to sin? You were identified with Christ. Or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The idea of baptism there is not dunked in the water. It is identification with Christ. I have been identified with Christ. When Christ died in a sense, because I'm in him, I died with him. I died with him. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. So, not only did Christ die, but he was buried, right? So we were buried with him. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We were raised with him. We died with him. We were buried with him. We rise with him. So in a sense, did you die for your sins? In a sense. In a sense, yes, because you died in Christ. Now, if you die without Christ, what happens? Well, that's bad news, right? Yeah. Because there's no resurrection for you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Um, yep. So, verse 5, I just checked it here. There's something called a first-class conditional in Greek. First-class conditional is a statement of fact. Okay? If you are a human being, then you... Well, are you a human being? Well, yeah, okay? So I could say, since you're a human being, right? I could swap out the if with a since, right? That's called a first-class conditional. It's a condition of fact. The second class is a condition contrary to fact, but this is the... You can translate this in. said, since we have been united with him in his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Since you died with Christ, you will also be resurrected with Christ. Have we got our resurrection yet? Not yet, but we will be, right? By the way, a first-class conditional, if the, in other words, I'm giving all kinds of fancy words. I, you know, protesis, the if statement is true. The apotesis, the then statement is true. Since you died with Christ, then you will be resurrected with Christ. There's no linkage. There's no like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. No, it's, it's, a, it's a statement of fact. Since we died with him, we will be raised with him. Certainly, most certainly we will be raised with him. There's no question about it. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. 
what is our old man? Well, that's what he talked about in Romans 5, right? That's our old identification with Adam. By the way, that's not your flesh, right? Do you still got your flesh? Yeah. We struggle with that every day, right, don't we? That's coming up. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But what Paul is saying is my identification, that old man, that old identification in Adam, is gone. I am now identified with Christ. How was our old man gotten rid of? It was crucified with Christ. When we died with him, our old nature, not our old nature, I shouldn't say that, our old man, our old identification, that is gone. <clears throat> Remember, if any man be in Christ, he is a... No, you're not, the, you're, you're not new in the sense of God did a... Uh, you know, a little bit of a refurbished work on you. You're not a refurbished person. All right? He did not do that. You're not a remodeled job. You're a brand new job. God did not take the house of you and just remodel it. He tore it down and built a new one. You're different. You're, you're, not, you're not the same. Our old man, our old identification was crucified with Christ. Notice this. In order that the body of sin might be done away with. What's the body of sin he's talking about? Your flesh. So my identification with Adam is gone so that what will happen at some point? Your flesh will be done away with. At some point. Now for us that will happen at the moment of death or the moment of Christ's return. One of those two things. I, I love the idea that when I get to heaven I'm not going to spend all of eternity lugging around a flesh. That sort of be a bummer, wouldn't it? I don't have, in heaven I don't have this propensity to be drawn into sin. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's a very important verse when it comes to. Sorry about all the Greek. I'm. I've been. I've just spent. I've just spent four months learning Greek, so I got all this Greek in me. I got to get out of me, you know. But that's a perfect tense. Pass action with completed results. What he's saying is, someone who is in is a believer does not practice as a manner of life. Sin. And I like the, the word practice there is a good rendering of that. Because we think, because some of our, verses, our versions say, if any man, you know, if born of God, you don't sin. I said, wow, you know, I sinned today, so I must not be born of God. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a manner of life. That's, and that's, a, that's, the, that's the thing we've got to wrap our heads around. As Christians, our manner of life, our existence should not be one of continual, unrepentant, practicing of sin. We do commit an acts of sin. Yes, we do. And what do we do when we commit an act of sin? John 1, 9. 
We confess our sins. All right? However, the penalty of sin has been removed. We will not stand in judgment for our sin. That was nailed to the cross of Christ. We're in Christ. Yep. That that's a very excellent rendering understanding of that. It's a practice of life. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I might have gotten the present perfect mixed up there, but the, the point is the verb tense in that John three nine, First John three nine, has the idea of a continual practice of living in something. Okay, it's not that I commit an act of sin now and then; I don't live in it. What was the difference between Peter and uh, Jude or Judas? I mean, there's a lot of differences, but what's twenty thousand foot? What's the main difference between the two? Yes, and why was Peter repentant? Because he was truly a believer. What was Judas? He wasn't. He was in a group. Peter could not continue in sin. Did he commit an act of sin? Absolutely. But did he stay there? No. You show me someone who commits sin and they stay there and it doesn't bother them and they don't care and it doesn't matter to them, probably they're not a believer. Again, I'm not a heart inspector, I'm a fruit inspector. Jesus is a representation, in my opinion, of the one-twelfth of the church consists of ongoing Judases. Well, we have them. They are vines, they look like a vine. They're, they're by the vine, but they're not of the vine. And they're just like the tear. Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? They look like a stalk of wheat. It's hard to tell the difference, but where can you tell the difference? In the harvest, because the wheat bear fruit, the tares do not. And God does the separation. All right, not me. But it says here, we have been united with him. The old man, your old identification with Adam is gone. When God looks at you, again, what, what is Romans 5 telling you? Every person in the universe, or in the world, or have ever existed, you are identified with Christ or you're identified with Adam, one or the other. Everybody's identified. You know, if you're picking teams, you know, like as little kids, you know, you got two teams, you're picking teams, you know. When everybody's picked off the basketball court, you're on one team or the other. You're not, there's no third group there. You're in Christ. You're in Adam. Pick one. So if you're not in Christ, who are you in? Adam. If you're not in Christ, if you're not identified with Christ, you're identified with Adam. How'd you get, how'd you get identified with Adam? Because he sinned? Well, he sinned, but 
You were born. Welcome to Adam. You're born. Yeah, and the only way out of that deal is you got to die to that. And how did you die to that? Well, Christ died for you, and you were identified with Him. So you, in essence, died with Him. So that, listen, the body of sin might be destroyed, that we would no longer be what? Slaves to sin. We have this idea in America, well, I don't want to be a slave to anyone. I do my own thing. Oh, really? Paul's going to talk about that here in a few verses. You know, every one of us in here is a slave to something. How do you find out what you're a slave to? What do you follow? What do you do? That's your, that's your master. People say, I, I'm free to do what I want. Well, you're a slave to alcohol because that's your master. I have the right to drink if I want to. No, actually, if you're drinking, that's your master. Face it, just be honest about it. Paul is saying that we were dead to sin. We died to sin. The sin principle is broken so that we, our body of sin may be destroyed. we still got to deal with that. He's going to talk about that here. That we would no longer be a slave to sin. We no longer have to do it. Can the unbeliever not sin? No, they have to sin, right? Because that's what they are. Now, they may not commit overtly the act of sin, but why do they not overtly commit the act of sin? Well, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to pay the penalty. I don't want to... I don't want to break the law. I don't want to pay a fine. If I could get away with it, I would, but I don't want to do that. They have good intentions, but it's always a selfish motive. There's always how much self does it need to how much self do you need to put in there to mess it all up? Not a lot. Not a lot. It's not like the unbeliever says, you know, I don't want to do this because it's a it's a front against the holy God and I want to honor him. They don't think of it in that way. We do. They're actually correct about it, which means that we're having a little bit of trouble with our own sanctification, aren't we? Yes. And that's what Paul's going to be talking about here. I think there's a lot of mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My aunt, I had, I had an aunt that was, well, a great aunt, one of the nicest ladies you'll ever meet. I could not get the gospel through to her. She was a dyed-in-the-wool Catholic. She, she believed her works were good enough. And as far as I know, she died in her sin. The point here is that God, Paul is saying, you've been crucified with Christ. The body of the, Your identification with Adam is gone. Your body of sin will be destroyed. You're no longer a slave to sin. You no longer have to do it. So stop doing it. That's what he's going to be talking about here in a little bit. For he who has died has been, what? Justified, freed from. The sin principle is no longer operative in him. 
You're freed. You're declared righteous. You're in a state of being justified. You're, God's acquitted. It's sort of like God saying, um, Alan, you're acquitted. Go free. Then I'm going to go free and sin? Really? Go back and do that? No. And he's going to, he's going to expand on that now as we work down through the rest of this chapter. And where he's going to wind up is saying, you are a slave to that which you obey. As Christians, we need to obey God, not our flesh. Because we are a slave to one or the other. And the idea there is if Christ bought us and he is now our master, why are we listening to the old master? You don't have to do it. You're free. Act like it. That's our struggle. And that's what he's going to be talking about. So, All right. Pick up here next week. We are making our way through Romans 6. It's taking a while, but good stuff. Father, thank you for this day and for the opportunity we've had to study your word and help us to ponder this, that we're no longer a slave to sin. We don't have to do it. We do it because we listen to the old master. We don't have to listen to the old master. Again, thank you for this time of study. And, uh, really help us to think about these things and bring us back safely next week. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.